Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Double Down WNBA podcast. Eric Nemchak here alongside Stephen Trinkwald. Stephen, today we are talking about Game 1 of the 2022 WNBA Finals between the Las Vegas Aces and your Connecticut Sun. A close one throughout. Aces end up winning 67-64 to over the Sun, a game that was maybe a little lower scoring than we would have expected. Uh, what's your initial take? I guess my initial take is pretty similar to, I think, probably the prevailing take, uh, that this is a game that was played largely the way that Connecticut wanted it to be played. Connecticut, in the last series against Chicago, held Chicago to a 90 offensive rating. Las Vegas, in the last series, put up a 110 offensive rating against a, a great defense in Seattle. And That's in this, ridiculous. Yeah, <laughs> a very, very high number. Uh, and in this one, the Aces were at, you know, about a 92 offensive rating. So it was a, a low scoring game. It was a low efficiency game and it was a low possession game. And you kind of think given the two, you know, roster constructions that, that that's sort of a formula that Connecticut feels pretty good with. And and I think they made some comments similar to that in the, in the post game. I didn't catch some of that, just kind of saw it come across on Twitter here and there, but it seems like, you know, th- this is really kind of the way that Connecticut wanted to play and they're down a one. No doubt, especially considering if you look at the, for just a little bit of context here, the Aces won the season series between the two teams, two games to one, but they're largely competitive games. Um, they're also very high scoring games. We've got 89 to 81, 97 to 90, 91 to 83. Granted, Jasmine Thomas, who for my money is the best on ball defender in the WNBA, did not play in any of those games. So that maybe has a little bit to do with the higher scores there, but John, John Quill Jones also missed the third game with uh, COVID. Yes, that's right. But the Aces in those three games, 107 offensive rating. The Sun, 102.8 offensive rating. So pretty decent offensive ratings. Uh, and the cumulative pace was 84.3 possessions. In this game, Aces, 91.8 offensive rating. Sun, 87.7. Only 73 possessions. That is a very slow game. So I would agree with you. This is the type of game that the Sun wanted to play or it, it went the sun's uh way if if i could say it that way um they just couldn't execute down the stretch they were up for most of the third quarter but what what happened here Stephen? what happened well i think one thing that happened is that vegas has better players at a lot of positions than connecticut yeah, does yeah. and players that you know thrive a little bit more in ecosystems where you really need tough baskets where where offense is not kind of flow system offense is not really going to get you very far you kind of need players to kind of go get their own and Vegas had quite a few of those and it was largely Chelsea Gray and Asia Wilson who combined for just an absolute monster game 45 points on 35 shooting possessions between the two of them 65% true shooting out of Vegas is, I mean, what did they score? 67 total points. So that that's a lot. That's a lot, yeah. And a lot of that came late in the fourth. And really, the, the well just kind of dried up offensively for the Sun as well late in the, the fourth quarter. You know, they went to their three big lineup for a while. And I, I don't really think that is going to be a, a formula for success against this team. There were some second chance looks that you feel like a lot of times Connecticut is going to convert at a better rate and you know they they can't be this inefficient from two point range from their perimeter play throughout the series but overall still you know you, you kind of feel like Connecticut let one go I think I want to list off some numbers here to put that last comment of yours into perspective because I agree with that so they're a plus seven on the offensive glass which you know you would expect the Sun team to be uh, the better team on rebounding uh, even scoring from three-point range, the Aces did not shoot the ball well from the outside. So they both hit five three-pointers, so that goes in the Suns' favor. The Sun only turned the ball over seven times. They doubled the Aces' point output in the paint, 40-20. to 20. They shut out the Aces on the fast break. They outscored them 12-0. to 0. They took 16 more field goal attempts than the Aces. The Aces actually had an assist or turnover, turnover ratio below one. They had only eight assists to 10 turnovers. All of those numbers going in the Suns' favor. And they still came up short. So, yes, I would totally agree with you. Granted, d- quick disclaimer here, this is not the Connecticut Sun podcast, but I think this is, these are all very pertinent talking points when you're looking at this team that, let's let's be honest here, doesn't really have much margin for error, error when going up against the Aces. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. They do not have a lot of margin for error. And, you know, they will get into it kind of more detailed, but they checked a lot of the boxes I think they were kind of hoping to check. And, you know, the eight assists to 23 Vegas field goals, I think is 
typically that would be a pretty huge barometer, but that also speaks to, you know, this team having players that can just go get you a bucket in isolation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's nothing new at this point in the playoffs, but the number of just extremely well-contested Chelsea gray mid-range shots where, you know, there's just nothing you can do really. If you're a guard size player, she's just going to kind of get to her spots, rise up comfortably in between her size advantage, her release point fading away basically on every shot. Like you're just not going to be able to contest that really be bothersome for, for shots like that when you're an Atisha Heidemann or Courtney Williams size player. It's absolutely absurd what Chelsea Gray is doing in this playoff so far. Uh, just a few more numbers here, just for some more context here. Um, this was before the game, so these numbers have changed a little bit by now. But entering the finals, she was averaging 24 points per game on 75.8 true shooting percentage, which is the highest ever among a single-season playoff run uh, by players for 200 minutes minimum. So that's already historic stuff. But 1.5 points per possession on off-dribble jumpers? Are you kidding me? That's that's ridiculous. And you can say like, oh, that's unsustainable or whatever, but it's the playoffs. Like, it doesn't matter if it's unsustainable or not, you know? I mean, it's basically a quarter of a point higher per possession than the 100th percentile in the regular season. Like, nobody was doing this over the course of the regular season, just to kind of put into context, like, how absurd this off-the-dribble shooting is. And she remained very, very hot on very tough baskets today. And I guess, I mean, you could, you could frame it, you can frame like the difference in the game a lot of different ways, but in terms of pure talent, that was a difference in the game, really. Obviously, AJ Wilson is going to have a, a big game, and Connecticut had to make adjustments for her defensively pretty early on. Um, but when you have, I mean, this is what you kept talking about entering the postseason and throughout the postseason. The Aces, it's not just about AJ Wilson, it's about them having three all star caliber perimeter talents out there, which no other team in the WNBA can really match that. So it's very tough. When I talk about the margin for error, that's that three-headed monster in the perimeter there, that's a big part of it. And it should be noted that defensively, you know, Connecticut, again, did as well as you could hope. Like this was... Absolutely. This was Vegas's lowest offensive rating for any victory this season. Connecticut defended them really, even Chelsea Gray to her kind of absurd standards actually missed some field goals, which we hadn't really seen. Yeah, too that true much shooting yet. percentage is going to be plummeting now, right? Um, yeah, it might get all the way down to the mid 60s at this point. Um, <laughs> but on the other side of it, the perimeter players for Connecticut were just not good enough. Courtney Williams, two for nine from the field, five points, four fouls, zero assists. Duana Bonner, one for nine from the field, three points, zero free throw attempts, although she did have five assists to one turnover. And to your point, I think both players did play pretty good defense. Bonner, particularly on Jackie Young, she got beat a couple times, but she did what she asked of her, right? And Courtney Williams, I think, had a better defensive showing in this game than she had most of the season. I think Courtney Williams had a pretty lousy defensive season. But um, man, it's really hard to overcome a combined three for 18 shooting from your two primary perimeter options, right? And to just kind of take that a step further, Connecticut's non-bigs in this game, so in totality of Natisha Heideman, Courtney Williams, Dewana Bonner, Odyssey Sims, Dijanae Carrington, those five players combined two for 20 from two-point range. So, I mean, Connecticut's bigs, like, it, it was a little bit of a mixed bag, I think. We'll get into John Quell and Bree Jones and, and AT's game, but two for 20 from two-point range, like, part of it Man. is just that these players aren't really capable of generating good looks. And also, I think, you know, Vegas kind of Kia stoked Connecticut's offense just as well as Connecticut was able to ignore Stokes on the other end. Like, they really shrunk things um, for for these players, and we saw a lot of very late in shot clock possessions. And that was another big difference in, in this game. Chelsea Gray, again, just able to kind of get herself a good shot with five seconds or less on the shot clock and Connecticut having multiple shot clock violations in this game. Can I talk about that? Can I just address yeah, that for a please. second? Courtney Williams had, you know, you can't attribute a shot clock violation. It doesn't, it doesn't get attributed to one specific player, but I caught it three times where Courtney Williams either didn't take the shot. I mean, she just didn't take the shot, right? She had the ball, shot clock was winding down, and she was either looked unaware of it or just made the wrong decision with the basketball. And for a player who is so trigger happy from that area on the floor, it was, it's kind of confusing. It, it was, I, I did not expect to see that. Yeah, she had the first one where, you know, she had Kia Stokes on a switch and wasn't really able to 
generate a clean look, beating Kia Stokes, you know, because none of these guards that, that this team has can really beat a switch. So, you know, she goes gnashing under the rim, tried to dump it off to Heidemann and nothing really there. She missed Alyssa Thomas pretty wide open as she's sort of coming across left to right on the, the left, along the left lane, I should say. She had the second one where, you know, there was a pretty shallow pick and roll right around the free throw line. She stepped into a really clean look. And then instead of kind of pulling up for her patented, you know, free throw, 14 foot jump shot, uh, you know, she tried to pass it to AT as the clock expired. And then had the third one where, you know, she could have taken a really nice, clean catch and shoot three with about five seconds left on the clock, uh, the shot clock, but, you know, tries to take Plum off the bounce and isn't really able to get any separation on her. Plum cuts her off baseline and Courtney Williams throws Alyssa Thomas another flaming bag with, you know, basically no time left on the shot clock and three shot clock violations in a matter of a few minutes here. And, uh, you know, that that's not the game, but it was certainly uh, a good distillation of kind of how poor I thought Courtney Williams' decision-making was throughout this game. Three-point game, you can't discount that. And, you know, what's interesting, I just, I just thought of this. Uh, when we talk about... Back in the olden days of the podcast, when the Sun first acquired Duana Bonner, we was like, okay, we we're like, okay, this is a player who, when their offense bogs down, she can get them a, a shot. Uh, may not be a great shot, but she can get them a shot. Courtney Williams, I think, has that similar reputation of a of a tough shot maker. Um, you saw a real tough shot maker today in Chelsea Gray. It was not even, you know, the difference is obvious, right? And Chelsea Gray was able to make some tough shots, obviously, and when she didn't need to make tough shots. She got she herself <laughs> to the paint. You know, she, she got all the way to the rim. She got at least to like the mid part of the paint, if not to the restricted area. Whereas, you know, Dewana Bonner one for nine from the field, as you mentioned, but she was oh for four in the paint. Courtney Williams did not take a paint attempt in this game. You know, that's not good. A huge factor in why her game five against the Chicago sky, sorry, Eric was actually a somewhat effective game was, you know, she took over half of her attempts in the restricted area for a player that is not known for being able to take much of her attempts in the restricted area, you know, that that's kind of how she can be good is getting to the rim, getting out in transition. She didn't really, you know, her two transition possessions today were a pull up 20 footer, which she made and an offensive foul. And she, she had zero assists in this game. She wasn't really able to be a, a playmaker in any real capacity, as you mentioned. So these are the types of games you'll, you'll get from Courtney Williams and, and Dewana Bonner. Okay. So if you're Connecticut, how do you evaluate the performances of their front court players? Because we already talked a lot about their perimeter and backcourt players and talk about how they need to do better, simply put. Um, I thought Alyssa Thomas had a really good game. John Cole Jones and Bri- uh, Brianna Jones, their minutes distribution has been a point of contention for years now. Uh, John Cole played 30 minutes, Brianna Jones 17, Alyssa Thomas, of course, <laughs> a lot of minutes, 36. How do you kind of, are, are you happy with that as a Sun fan? How do you think that could have changed? I think this was kind of a very picturesque Alyssa Thomas game. She had their best kind of statistical game. She was 19, 11, and 5 with the six stocks. She was, you know, relatively efficient for this game. I thought she was good defensively. I, th- I think, honestly, think that she was better defensively than a typical Alyssa Thomas guarding Asia Wilson game. I, I don't really I think. Agree. Yeah, Asia, I don't think, had her best moments against Alyssa Thomas necessarily. And I also really liked Connecticut kind of starting when they could starting Alyssa Thomas on Asia Wilson to get her involved in ball screens kind of put two on the ball and then have JJ sort of shrink the floor by coming over to Asia and whether it's JJ not really guarding Stokes Bonner kind of giving Jackie Young an extra step of room thought that was a pretty effective strategy for them and and AT is a, a big reason why they did that but I mean look she's a huge reason why this team's spacing and why their half court offense bogs down the way it does and and yeah today was no different i don't think the Alyssa thomas conundrum right i mean we've talked about it so many times already but just a very interesting player in both her strengths and her weaknesses so, so she can you know score 19 points on 17 shooting possessions you know have relatively plus efficiency but but what's the cost to your half court offense yeah how, how much more difficult is it making life for john quo jones and for dewana bonner and, and all their other players i mean i think dewana bonner Missed a lot of ones that were kind of um, not really Alyssa Thomas related, but, you know, their bigs kind of having Bree Jones having to take the majority of her shots from, you know, 14 or 15 feet. She took more jump shots today than she had shots around the basket, I think, which is probably not what you want Brianna Jones to do. You know, John Quill Jones had, I think, a little bit 
less effective of an offensive game than you could hope. 15 points on 15 shooting possessions, I think. So, you know, and that's something I think the Aces came into the game ready to exploit is this half court uh, floor shrinkage for the Connecticut Sun. Because you saw that they're, they're icing pick and roll coverage here. And uh, Bree Jones taking those mid range jump shots, she was knocking them down. And I think that is a shot that's maybe a little underrated as far as Bree Jones' game is concerned. But at the same time, it's not what she's most comfortable doing. And I would surmise that the Aces are going to be perfectly okay with that shot moving forward in this series. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. And I think that's a a very important shot for Bree Jones, you know, as much as we deride mid-range twos and stuff like that. But just for her to kind of give this offense some modicum of, of spacing when they're so starved for it, for her to be able to hit, you know, that kind of elbow, the free throw line extended jumper rather than being just a 100% kind of rim-based scorer. But, I mean, she took, you know, six jump shots in this game and out of her 10 field goal attempts. So that's, you're, you're definitely going to live with that part at least. And, you know, I thought Bree Jones had, I, I was a little bit concerned with how she would hang in this series, frankly. You know, I, I think her best moments were as a play finisher, finishing some of those jump shots, kind of cutting to the rim, finishing the dump-offs, stuff like that, rather than, you know, playing through the post, which is kind of what you associate with Brianna Jones. Uh, and I thought she had an okay team defensive game, but, I mean, she just has nothing for Asia Wilson one-on-one. No, and she's never going to. That's just not a physical matchup she's going to win. Uh, but concerning that that mid-range jumper, yeah, you know, in the Connecticut's uh, series against Chicago, the, the semifinal series, when they're at their worst— I think it was a lot of it trying to force shots into paint. You know, Kurt Miller almost getting fired because his team can't make a layup. That's how many how much of that was just because you had four Skype defenders with their arms up in the paint and the Jones is trying to force up shots. Like they're good in the paint, but that's at that point that's not a good shot. So I'm happy to see Brianna Jones at least taking what the defense is giving her because she can knock that shot down. So I agree. That's that's a, a an important shot for her to be able to hit in this series. And with regards to just Vegas being able to kind of shrink this Connecticut offense, you know, I think Kia Stokes and Raquana Williams are just very playable in this series. Like, you don't really have to worry if you're Vegas about those two players kind of having a tough time fitting in, you know, getting played off the floor. I mean, Connecticut's just kind of shrink, going to do what they do and impact the paint no matter what. But I don't think, you know, Kia Stokes is necessarily any sort of like, larger detriment in this series i think seattle was just a little bit more blatant and more effective quite frankly in terms of how they were going to not guard her than connecticut is and you know raquana williams like there's there's nowhere where you think oh well we can't really keep her on the court defensively like she can't hang against this player this player is going to punish raquana williams for being out there and honestly i think that the same is with kia stokes because you're never really going to go five out with this connecticut team you're never really going to kind of put pressure on Kia Stokes defending in space. You don't have to worry about that. We we just mentioned, you know, Courtney Williams' inability to kind of beat her off a, off a switch. So, yeah. I mean, it's not going to be Vegas's five best players, probably. We saw how good Dierica Hamby was coming back. But, you know, when you're thinking about how do we get our players some sort of rest, I don't really think you're, like, panicking putting Kia Stokes in this matchup. I mean, she can give John Quilla a tough time in the post, or you can put her on Alyssa Thomas, right? You can put her on Alyssa Thomas and just let her do whatever. What do you think is the more effective strategy? Well, I think probably having having Asia Wilson on Alyssa Thomas and not really guarding her, I think that really gave Connecticut. I mean, she's just so much more athletic, can cover a lot more ground as a help defender, and John Quell, she had a whale of a game defensively. She, she, too. she was so good. She was so good defensively in this game, and and John Quell, you know, she's a capable shooter, but she's not putting panic in the heart of Kia Stokes if she's, you know, running a, a pick and pop or something like that. So we probably should talk more about Asia Wilson's game. She was just, I mean, she was the best player on the court in this game by a mile, I would say. By by several miles, yeah. Um, the first thing, I mean, the first thing that stands out to me is she attempted 14 free throws. The Connecticut Sun as a team attempted five. I'm not going to talk about officiating or anything. I don't, I don't have a horse in this race. Uh, if you have a game that's being called very leniently like this, but you still have one player who can just get to the free throw line at will, that is a tremendous advantage. You know how much I like free throw disparity when it comes to asserting your will on, on the basketball court. But yeah, 24 points, 11 rebounds, six stocks, 
six or six or eleven from the field, and again twelve or fourteen from the free throw line. This is peak Asia Wilson. This is peak MVP stuff. Best player on the floor, easily. Yeah, and this is. I mean, this is not, you know, Asia Wilson kind of feasting against a team that has trouble defending without fouling. Um, This is not the Chicago Liberty Series where we thought Chicago was going to get to the line at a a much better rate than they did over the course of the regular season because they were going up against a team that can't foul. Like both of these teams over the course of the regular season were top four in free throw attempt rate and top four in terms of keeping opponents off the free throw line. So the, the difference is that you know, you just have this one transcendent force on the team where you're not kind of going to pick up system free throws, like a, a just kind of, you know, forcing the defense to make a bad rotation or something like that. It's just one player imposing their will. And I also just want to say like one one kind of sort of force about Asia's game that, that really sticks out to me is just obviously she gets a ton of free throw attempts and trips to the line, just kind of operating within her own offense, you know, posting up, stuff like that. But the backbreakers to me feel like when she is getting to the line off of her offensive rebounds and she was in the 100 percentile in terms of free throw attempt rate off of putbacks. And those ones, I feel like, you know, you play good defense, you think you're going to get the stop. And not only does the team get the possession back, but they, you know, you're putting them on the line and and oftentimes it's an and one. I don't don't think she had any and ones in this game, but that's just like a classic Asia Wilson, you know, kind of ripping your heart out moment, I think. Yeah, it really is. It really is a a momentum shifting type of play. And it's part of that. You you like to use the word undeniable. I don't know if that's a word or not, but she's undeniable. She was definitely undeniable today. Um, Another thing I wanted to point out about Asia Wilson's game is entering the series, I think, you like to say that John Quill Jones is one of the better one-on-one matchups for Asia Wilson. Uh, John Quill Jones had nothing for Asia Wilson today either. Yeah, this was, I mean, I, I kind of felt like this would be a, a pretty good matchup for John Quill Jones to, to defend, maybe, you know, get her confidence going a little bit, uh, being up against a star player that, you know, she typically matches up pretty well against. But I think it's the difference in spacing. Like when, as much as I was a believer at the time of the, Asia Wilson, Liz Cambage pairing, how much of what Asia had to, how much less spacing around her Asia had, how many fewer three-pointers, how much just, you know, how much smaller the offensive court was in Cambage Wilson pairing. And Asia just, you know, she just has so much more room to be explosive now and, and get all the way to the rim. And, you know, she doesn't have to take, you know, their paint twos, but they're kind of a little bit further out in the paint. Like that was kind of a, a large part of her diet against the Connecticut Sun last year where or it was back to the basket where John Quell could really use her length to contest but you know those weren't the type of attempts she was putting up today. Asia Wilson you cannot stop her in space it's just not going to happen she's too quick she's too explosive she's too strong and she's too skilled of a play finisher. Uh, I mentioned this on Twitter but I'll say it again here because if you don't follow me on Twitter that's probably a good decision but Part of the reason why I think Becky Hammond is deserving, was deserving a coach of the year was this newfound three-point shot heavy offense. And it's not just, okay, Jackie Young, take more threes. It's a better shot than long twos. Okay, Kelsey Plum, take more threes. Asia Wilson, take more threes. It's a better shot than a long two. That, while that is true, it's establishing an offensive ecosystem that you know maximizes the talents of your star player. It is striking to see the, the amount of floor spacing the Aces are playing in compared to their opponent, the Connecticut Sun. Um, granted, I think you could say that about the Aces versus uh, compared to just about any opponent they're gonna they played this season. And the Connecticut Sun about and, and yeah, so it, this is this is kind of an extreme example, I would I would say. But you're totally right. I mean, this is one of the main reasons why Asia, Asia Wilson has been has is putting up these MVP type of numbers. Yes, obviously she's she's a tremendous player. We know that already, but. The way that Becky Hammond and her coaches have kind of maximized her talents through changing the offensive schemes, I mean, it's not a coincidence, right, that they're playing with so much floor spacing and that their players are also shooting a lot more three-pointers now. This is how you get the most out of your star players. So I'm not sure how Connecticut can really adjust for that. Well, what can they do? On the on the contrary, let's talk about the other MVP on the court here. We, we mentioned that she had, I don't know, a, a decent game, like, how would you describe in in just you know one or two words John Quill Jones' game tonight? Uh, solid, if not spectacular. Yeah, that seems about right. You know, she was. I don't think you would necessarily watch this game as a new fan and think, oh, that player probably won MVP at some time. But yeah. she was, you know, yeah. she was pretty solid. She had some really nice moments, kind of controlling her own offensive glass with six offensive rebounds and 
uh, a few putbacks off of those. Feels like Asia Wilson was a huge part of kind of mitigating the damage on those putbacks, though. There were definitely two or three times where she should have had uh, or could have had against a lesser opponent even more you know, points off of her offensive rebounds. And Vegas defensively, it looked to me like they were mostly kind of dropping way back in, in pick and roll when it was Alyssa Thomas or when it was Bree Jones. You know, they were icing quite a bit against those players. But uh, as Evan Gilberto pointed out, I thought this was a really great point. They're just more willing to switch with JJ and sort of front that post, you know, kind of pinch over from the weak side, as Evan was saying. And you have here in the notes that Bree Jones knocked down a couple jumpers from this, which, like you said, they, they're probably not super worried about because a jump shot from Bree Jones is probably better than John Quell, you know, eating against a, a switch in a post-up. But they just don't have good enough post-entry passers to kind of get her the ball where it needs to in this situation. And, and again, it just kind of goes back to their spacing where like they can really bring that second big over to help out the front from all the way over on the other side because you just don't worry about any of these players other than John Quill Jones and Natisha Heideman putting a ton of pressure on you from behind the three-point line. How much of John Quill Jones' MVP campaign had to do with playing with two point cards in Jasmine Thomas and Brian January? Neither player you would consider to be an explosive offensive player, but I think both at least average in terms of getting the ball where it needs to go on the court. Whereas playing alongside Natisha Heideman and Courtney Williams, that's probably not the case. Well, John Quill Jones' numbers as a pick and roll player plummeted this season. And I think uh, as much as, you know, Jasmine Thomas has her limitations kind of like scoring off the bounce and, and her pull-up jump shots and, and everything like that are a little bit of a limitation. But, you know, she's a real point guard that can run a pick and roll and get it to an MVP in, in a good situation where, you know, as, as much as I like Natisha Heideman, she's not really that type of player. And, and obviously Courtney Williams is not that type of player either. You mentioned the offensive rebounding, which was, of course, excellent for John Cole Jones, but it didn't really feel like she was making much of an offensive impact beyond that. And this is something that's been going on for most of the season. I, I think she's too talented of a player for her to just be this offensive rebounding specialist, you know? And I'm wondering at what point Connecticut has to try to change this up a little bit. Granted, they're made the finals with the strategy. They're not going to do a complete 180 and change who they are as a team, but it's been so much of throughout most of the season. It's been John Quill Jones versus Brianna Jones. Who's going to play more? Who's going to be starting? I mean, obviously John Quill's going to be starting, right? But you know, there there are going to be some games where Brianna Jones plays equal minutes or maybe even more minutes than John Quill Jones. At what point, if any, do you say, okay, we're going with the Joneses. We're not playing Alyssa Thomas 36 minutes a game. Is that even a thought in Kurt Miller's head? I mean, I think it should be, and, and this is something I was going to get to when we kind of talk about adjustments. But what, the Joneses, they, they, they've, they're still performing very well in the minutes they play on the court together. It, I wish it was kind of more, as much as, you know, Alyssa Thomas is one of my favorite players in the WNBA, but I'm not sure she needs to be guaranteed 35 minutes per game when you have optionality. It's it's not like, you know, she's not performing well, but you, you just have other options you can go to, and Kurt Miller doesn't really like to explore optionality, I don't think, as much as other coaches but one thing I just wanted to kind of mention before we move on from John Quill, six for eight in the paint and one for seven outside the paint in a different ecosystem, like you're probably able to get a higher proportion of her shots in the paint. But, you know, when you're playing with Alyssa Thomas and Brianna Jones all the time, like imagine John Quill Jones with a power forward who can shoot the ball a little bit. Yeah, imagine John Quill playing on Washington or something. Yeah, right. Um, That'd be amazing. But, you know... What what would you think about the kind of two big lineup against this team specifically? I don't think I'd have a problem with it. I, I think it makes a little bit less sense if Hamby's out there. Like I think Hamby is maybe just a little bit too good of an off ball player to have Brianna Jones really be like an impactful help defender off of her. I mean, I'd like to see it for sure, but it's it's a lot different than when this two-player combination was exceedingly good against Vegas last year. And I will see what uh, Hamby's minutes look like kind of for the rest of this series. She she looked pretty good, obviously. Uh, much more effective than Ileana Rupair, more effective than Kia Stokes. But, you know, they, they ran out a, a Rupair-Stokes combination to start the second quarter, and it got... <laughs> Becky Hammond did away with that very quickly. So I'm, I'm curious if there's... I mean, I'm guessing there's some kind of limits restri- or minutes restriction on Hamby, but, I mean, man, you're in the finals. At what point do you just say, we need to play our best players? So they were... Aside from the the three big minutes, which those three big 
minutes. They they played, I think, three minutes together, and, and they were in the slight negative in those three minutes. But other than that, the two Jones together were a plus four. I'm sorry, a plus three in four minutes. They only played four minutes together aside from the three big lineups. So that's... How does that happen? I'm, it happens You had from, an enormous sample size of them wrecking opponents last year and now you just don't do it anymore i mean you you know how it happens because you said it Alyssa thomas is their franchise player rhetorical question and she's going to play 35 minutes but like you know i i don't think you're really losing that much if she plays 32 minutes a game again i'm i'm not really sure how well brie jones like plays in this series in the larger sample size but i think game one would have been a good area to kind of explore that studio space a little bit more well, we will see if that's a Connecticut Sun adjustment for the rest of the series. Well, should we get into adjustments? The Sun, adjustment number one, make more shots. Adjustment number two, what do you think? Well, I do want to see them go to the two-big lineup a little bit more. What do you think about yeah. kind of having them like hard doubling Chelsea Gray late in the clock? Six of her attempts came with five seconds or less in the shot clock. Dewana Bonner and I think Courtney Williams, I think did did honestly a worse job against her than Natisha Heidemann, who played as well as you can play for a player of that size against Heidemann her. Heidemann at least kept her in front. She yeah, she kept her in front of her. She she played really good positional defense against her. And, you know, again, she's just not really able to bother that jump shot that much. No, like mechanically, you're you're probably not gonna do much against Chelsea Gray's jump shot unless you're Dewana Bonner or Alyssa Thomas, and they have other assignments. Right? You know, you still have Jackie Young out there. You still have Kelsey Plum out there. It's, once again, goes back to this Aces uh, pick your poison regarding their perimeter players. But that is an interesting observation of, of, of Gray taking so many of her shots late in the shot clock. I think she's just such a good passer, and her vision is so tremendous out there on the court. I would be hard-pressed to double her more than, like, two or three times before she just starts picking that stuff apart. Is there something I'm missing here? Well, just that it would be so late in the clock, you know, don't even send that double. Yeah, you'd be getting the ball out of her hands, that's for sure. Um, yeah. And yeah. then, you know, what what does Kia Stokes and Jackie Young kind of do with three or four seconds left on, on the clock? Young, I'm glad you I'm glad you said that right now because uh, Young, I think, was underwhelming in this game. Um, she has, of course, gotten a lot better as an offensive player and as an off-ball player. But you could tell she's the Sun were still fairly comfortable helping off of her and forcing her to make decisions. And, you know, I mean, 11 points on 12 shots, one assist in 36 minutes. I mean, she's not going to get much rest. I, I would be surprised if she didn't play the second most minutes of the Aces in this series after Aja Wilson. Um, oh, that, that's going to be Chelsea Gray, I think. Chelsea Gray, you think so? Well, I just think, you know, they can probably sub in Raquana Williams for what Jackie Young does a little bit more i mean i thought jackie young would you know she had a good defensive game against duana bonner and and stuff like that but man she just needs to fire away you know like it's she's got to shoot yeah the lack of confidence i think has it started off kind of rough in the beginning of the seattle series and then obviously she had that monster finish to game three where you know she had she brought them into overtime and she had a really really great game four but uh, it just seems like she is a little bit more hesitant than she needs to be for this offense to really kind of get going. I'm, you know, Stephen, I'm wondering if that is stemming from a this clear focus on Chelsea Gray taking over the, the late shot clock offense. Because Chelsea Gray's usage is way up in the playoffs. Jackie Young's usage is way down. And Young already wasn't a very high usage player. But I think it's it was hovering around like 14 or 15%. And that needs to be higher for this three-headed perimeter monster to be at its best. So one other thing I had in here, can you slide AT to more time on Chelsea Gray? I think, you know, Chelsea was still able to get one nice shot off of Alyssa Thomas, but Alyssa Thomas had, you know, three or so possessions one-on-one, really guarding Chelsea Gray pretty well. Seattle, of course, had some nice moments in the last series, putting Sue Bird on Kia Stokes as kind of the, the player to, you know, shift your whole defense around to kind of throw sort of a junk defense at this. And and I think, you know, having your power forward guard Chelsea Gray is is a little bit in that neighborhood. But, you know, none of these perimeter players, I think, can be a a super level help defender if you're kind of rearranging everything to, you know, put uh, JJ on Asia for most of the time and put Alyssa Thomas on Chelsea Gray and and having to kind of guard a Kia Stokes or a De'Erica Hamby with a smaller player. 
you know, maybe you can put hide him in on Plum, but I think that's pretty scary if you're a Sun fan. That's very scary. <laughs> Slide Courtney Williams over to Jackie Young, which I think is is a great way to get Jackie Young going, quite frankly, and move Dewana Bonner onto Kia Stokes because it, she's does, probably the closest thing to a help defender. Uh, go does ahead. Courtney Williams need to play 36 minutes again? She played 36 minutes. Why? I mean, what what are the other options, honestly? I know, like, Dejanay Carrington... Okay, first of all, let me say this. Carrington's been way better this year than I expected. I was not very kind to her in our uh, off-season episode when we were talking about rookie wing players. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Dijon Carrington when we get okay. to our wrong about episode. Because <laughs> we, we definitely missed that one, I think. For sure, for sure. Does she have a place in this series? I don't know. Because, I mean, the first name I thought of was Carrington when you said, is there a is there a, a good help defender you could just kind of put on Kia Stokes? But I don't think Kurt Miller is really going to do that. In fact, she played 10 minutes today. I thought... I'm surprised she played 10 minutes today. So one, one thing I do want to see a little bit more of, and this isn't necessarily at the expense of Courtney Williams, but more at the expense of Dijon Carrington, honestly, is some time with Odyssey Sims and Natisha Heideman in sure. in the game together. Like I, I don't think they go to that two-guard lineup enough, and they're just kind of strictly the backup point guard comes in for the backup point guard. You know, we don't see a, a lot of that kind of two-guard lineup. And I think, you know, if you can just up Bonner's minutes a little more. You know, she only played 30 minutes in this game. Up Heidemann's minutes a little more. She only played 30 minutes in this game. Run some of that Heidemann-Sims two-guard lineup. You can you can excise Carrington from the rotation because I don't really think she gives you any kind of advantage in this matchup. You know, maybe she'll, she'll rebound hard. She'll get out and transition a couple times, but just another player that this rotation has where you, you really feel comfortable shrinking the floor. And, you know, she was a, a plus five in this game, but, I mean... Was there anything that specifically that you think she contributed to that or just kind of on the court at the right time? It really kind I of think that's like noise. to me. Yeah. I think that's noise. I, I would agree. So, I mean, Vegas was going heavy zone against the three big lineup. So I guess kind of a two-part question, like, does this team have anything to bust a zone? And what do you think about the three big lineup sustainability in this series? Well, first things first, during the course of the regular season, Sims and Heidemann, just look us up. They played a grand total of, drum roll, 25 minutes together with a net rating of 24.9. Um, so a small sample size theater. But I agree that that would be something I would try as well because you just need more playmaking. I'm not huge on Odyssey Sims or Heidemann for that matter as far as playmakers. But if you're struggling to create shots like the Sun we're doing today, I mean, I'm fairly confident that neither Sims nor Heidemann, if they had the ball in their hands, would be responsible for three shot clock violations. You know what I'm saying? So I, I think that's something you could try. The uh, history, the regular season history does not suggest that it will, will be something that they try, but I digress. Um, you asked about the big lineup. No, I don't. H- how does it counter a zone? It just, it, it doesn't. Because you, you got to put Alyssa Thomas in the middle of that zone, right? But but Bree Jones is still in there. So you, Bree Jones you're is still in there already. You know, John Cole Jones is going to be floating around somewhere. Uh, that's not optimizing her at all. So yeah, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. Normally, you know, professional teams, they, they, they figure out how to beat a zone after a while. but With shooting. <laughs> yeah, like there, there's just no way this team can go against, a, can beat a zone unless somebody completely falls asleep possession after possession. So, yeah, that's a tough one. And I think, you know, them playing that three big lineup just invites that zone defense. and It's just not a necessary lineup for them to go to, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree with that. It, it doesn't really add any huge advantages other than you know you have your three best players on the floor but they they don't complement each other together together. so no no i mean what do you think about just kind of like getting playing through dewana bonner a little bit more you you'd mentioned she had the five assists just in terms of what i guess you know having her be kind of the lead initiator you know you you mentioned how courtney williams like zero assists three involved shot clock violations was not really a value-added playmaker if that's Dewana Bonner, is she that much of a better passer? I think was that was that Dewana Bonner who who got JJ in the pick and roll that one time and got the end one. Yes, that was Bonner. Where JJ got the end one on the Kia Stokes block. On Stokes, yeah, 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 yeah. That was Dewana Bonner pass. I think you know Bonner. The one thing that she provides is that height. She's not a, a value added passer, I would say. But when you're comparing her to Heidemann and Williams, she can at least either be a threat to pass or shoot once she gets below the free throw line. There. Um, the question is, of course, will she, if she does choose to shoot, is she going to uh, take what the defense gives her or pivot around four or five times and turn a decent shot into a bad one? But 
I think in, in in terms of just the playmaking ability, I think that a more more three five pick and roll with her and John Quo would be something that you have to at least try. Because otherwise, how else is John Quo Jones? This is something that I, I know frustrates you. Um, a lot of fans say, "Oh, John Quo needs to shoot the ball more." Well, where is that coming from? What does that look like? We already we already said. What are the types of shots that those are going to be? Is, yeah, is it going to be like, post ups? Like, is it going to be pick and roll? Like popping? Is she going to be rolling to the basket? Like. Most of her shots at uh, in the paint today, or uh, in two point range rather, came from offensive rebounds. And you know, how, how do you optimize John Cole Jones? That's that that's the name of that's ultimately the name of the game here, I think. And I don't think either Heideman or Williams are doing it in the backcourt. So either you play Sims more, or who you also look probably for, is not going to do it. Yeah, also probably historically not really a, a player who makes her teammates better like that. But the the other thing is that like. Maybe Dewana Bonner makes better decisions than Courtney Williams did in this game, but it's not going to meaningfully improve your floor space. And Courtney Williams is, I heard the dunker spot mention this in their preview, like she's a help off point as much as anybody else on this lineup because she's just not a yeah. willing three-point shooter. She's going to step into the long two, allow the defense to kind of recover for her and, and take a, a lower value shot. So, you know, that maybe it's better passing from your ball handler, but it's not really opening things up for your offense all that much more meaningfully, I don't think. So what I'm hearing is that the Connecticut Sun have a very, very, very difficult task ahead of them. Were there any adjustments for uh, Las Vegas you wanted to see? Uh, the only thing was just, once again, try to get Jackie Young going. I'm not sure what that really looks like. Maybe get the ball in her hands a little bit more often, try to get some early offense. The thing about this Sun defense, at least on the perimeter, is they're small. But besides Dewana Bonner, but she can't guard everybody at once. So one of Gray, Young, or Plum is probably going to have a favorable matchup. And I'd like to see them get, get Jackie Young going, get her going downhill, uh, either, whether that be you know going to the rim or even pulling up from that uh, elbow area because you know she's just going to get that shot whenever she wants against a smaller defender. Whether that's worth you know potentially sacrificing the pace of your offense and kind of freezing out Asia Wilson is another thing entirely. But I think Vegas, you know, throughout the course of the season, they did a pretty good job of not really doing that, at least early in the game. I, yeah, Again, I just think Jackie Young, if the Aces are going to win by more than three points next game, she's got to be a bigger factor. So how, what does that look like? Yeah, and Kelsey Plum, you know, she went one for nine, one for seven from behind the arc, but they were... I think a lot of that is just missing shots. They, they were a lot of good looks. Like, I don't think you you walk away from this game and you're thinking, well, we really need to do this differently to kind of get Kelsey Plum better look. I mean, at least five of those missed threes that she had were exceedingly open attempts and she can obviously get herself open as well. Um, I think it, it'll probably end up being a pretty tough two point scoring series for Kelsey Plum, but like, you know, she doesn't need to be the two point scoring player. She was in the regular season, I think for this team to have success in this series, as long as, she can get the catch and shoot going. She can get the step back three going. Or and, just bend the defense, like you say. Yeah, bend the defense. And that's exactly, you know, that's that's why it's going to be such a tough series for her from two, probably, because there's just going to be so much attention around the paint. And that's, you know, going to open things up, obviously, for other players. And they already have tough shot two-point makers. So I think Kelsey Plum, just cliche alert, but taking what the defense gives her. But it's true, <laughs> you know, just kind of attempts that, you know, are basically different than three-point attempts that any other player in the league takes you know there, there's not other players that really take the kind of step back threes in, in the same way that Kelsey Plum can and you know she had a couple really good looks I think in this game okay how about transition play I'm kind of stealing your point here yeah but... you mentioned that they were technically held to zero points but I mean would you not consider that Asia Wilson block on Dewana Bonner and then going down the other end. Is that not a transition? Yeah, man. Dewana Bonner, first of all, she cannot get beat down the court on that play. That was horrible. But, yeah, that, that's interesting. Why was that not counted that, as a transition? It's block? at least semi-transition. I mean, she got it up with, like, 16 seconds left in the clock, I think. But I mean, I'm really curious how they how they record those stats, because... Uh... Yeah, maybe anyway. there's it's a certain number of players back uh, defensively or something, but, I mean, that was a transition basket in, in my mind, at least, and uh, but, you know, Vegas, I, I'm sure they do want to get out in the open court more, and that will definitely help Kelsey Plum get going a little more. More Dierka Hamby will certainly add to that. You know, even if it is just a few more minutes of Kia Stokes and then that first half Rupert stint, even if that's all Hamby gives you, that's probably enough, honestly. 
I think, in this series. I agree. And being able to, you know, close games. I, I know you're going to flame me for this, but I don't think they really need Hamby to be a tremendous factor in this series. Maybe less so than against... Or maybe they might need her more so more than they did against Seattle. But this series, I mean... It's also historically been kind of a rough matchup for her. Yes, that is a good point. That is a good point. And when you talked about Bree Jones versus Derek Hamby, I could see how that would go in Vegas' favor. But I could also see how that goes in Connecticut's favor because how much of what Hamby does is generated through getting the loose ball, getting the offensive rebound. What is Bree Jones' biggest strength besides post-ups? Rebounding. So I could see that battle going either way, honestly. And if Hamby's not healthy, then she's not healthy. One thing that I think maybe the Sun could do a little better job of is turning defense into offense. Because some of those fast break points came at the very end of the game there, you know, when they were really turning up the pressure. Alyssa Thomas got a fast break layup. Fast she got two layups. in, like, the final minute, yeah. Yeah, okay, so that's some of that came from the last minute there. Um, so maybe Connecticut does a better job of, of pressuring the ball and, and forcing turnovers there. But other than that, I mean, it's tough. This is really tough. I mean, you just need better than eight points on 18 shooting possessions from your starting wings. Like Yeah, that, that, especially in a game when, when Plum goes one for nine from the field. The, this might have just been their best shot to win, this, to win a game. One thing I want to circle back to real quick is uh, the three times they played each other in the regular season were all very high-scoring games. Would the Sun, but you look at the Sun as a team, and they want games to be low-scoring, don't they? Yeah, and, you know. Would we, it be better it if the Sun get a high-scoring game? Like, because this Vegas defense is not what it was in previous years. But no, I, but no, I just I don't think it can because if if both teams are scoring well, which one of these two teams can score well better? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, this is a bummer of a game for Connecticut, uh, a game that the Aces I'm sure are thrilled with, and uh, I think we're gonna see. Uh, do you think which team do you think makes more adjustments for game two? Hmm, that's a good question. Honestly, I'm not I think sure. both teams just kind of largely do. Do what they did in in this game. Uh, maybe, maybe Vegas just kind of tries some different things offensively to to kind of get get those players going. But I don't I don't know. I feel like because I'm not sure but, Connecticut is really in a position to do anything. You know, I mean, like like we kept saying, like they got the effort that they wanted today. I mean, I just don't think Kurt Miller is really gonna. And he's not the coach who's gonna down one zero. Yeah. Have Alyssa Thomas guard Chelsea Gray for. 15 possessions in a row or something like that. He's just not really adventurous, I guess, in that. He's not going to try quirky things. That, oh, okay. That Speaking kind of, of which, I, I, the I, I want you to talk about this, the last play here. Oh, my God. How did we almost sign off without talking about this play? <laughs> what was that? So, I mean, first of all, what, what were you thinking when they called? They get the ball back with 14 seconds left on the clock and immediately call timeout. Good timeout okay. or bad timeout? All right. So, I'm a Chicago Bulls fan. And whenever Billy Donovan does this, it drives me nuts because you're, well, of course, the the situation is much more uh, dire in, in this case. But whenever Billy Donovan calls a timeout after a defensive rebound, I say very bad things to my TV. So it's, is, it's 14 seconds left in the game and Connecticut gets the rebound and they're down three with a chance to push in the open court where, as we know, if anybody's ever listened to the show, transition offense is more efficient, just it's better offense than playing in the half court. Uh, but instead, they call the timeout to run the clock down all the way. Which So not only are you not able to get yourself a good look in transition with 14 seconds left. So if the transition look is not there, you can always call a timeout with, you know, six seconds left. And actually, you, you do not lose that timeout. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, yeah, you, you lose the ability to advance the ball. But if you're pushing, you, you don't need that. Like, so in, instead of kind of trying to attack against a not set defense, you call a timeout and not only allow the defense to get set to kind of prepare, but you also get their two defensive liabilities or, or what they deem as defensive weak points in Kelsey Plum and Orquana Williams. They're, they're now off the floor for a defensive substitution. Yeah. They're out for Dierica Hamby and Kia Stokes, but also like not only are you letting them sub defensive players, but like your personnel is just more suited to create a three in transition than they are against a set defense on a, a sideline out of bounds. Like that's just not who your players are. So instead they, they call the timeout. They run an action to get Dewana Bonner, the ball on, on the right wing. And they kind of set a, a stagger screen and she kind of rejects 
both the screens and, and goes right instead of going middle. And the two defensive substitutions, wouldn't you know, Derek Hamby and Kia Stokes blow up this this very questionable play call and Connecticut doesn't get a good look. You know, what I think is funny about that was you can see Derek Hamby alerting the defense, alerting Kia Stokes, hey, screen, screen, but no one actually sets the screen. <laughs> so it, it ends up being Dewan about her catching the ball and, and flailing around a bit and then throwing up an air ball. So and your uh, your MVP John Quell Jones down three is just kind of floating not floating around two to three to, towards the free throw line. She's not even behind the arc in case of a pass comes. She's just ready to offensive rebound, I guess. To yeah, uh, you 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 need a three. You, you you why do you have so many players below the three point line? I just another opportunity wasted. I mean, granted they probably weren't going to score on that anyway, but. I don't understand the execution there. I don't. Anyway, when, when there's this much time, attack and transition. See if you can get your look against worst defensive personnel that are not set up, especially when you have this type of offensive personnel who, again, they're just much more suited to be an effective transition team than trying to get a three with... I mean, the the five on the floor were Alyssa Thomas, John Quell Jones, Dewana Bonner, Natisha Heideman, Courtney Williams. You have one plus shooter in that lineup and then, you know, John Quell is a plush shooter for her position, but not a, a Heidemann-level shooter. It's just really, really baffling stuff, I think. And you're going to be going for three either way. So I don't want to hear, oh, we need to we need to get a set play for three. No, you need the three, <laughs> regardless of whether, whether you call a timeout now or later. Yeah, not a, not a great ending there from the Sun. So, uh, okay, I think we have uh, we've just about exhausted our discussion for game one here. Uh, would you like to sign us off? Sure. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, you can do so by following, rating, and reviewing on Apple, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. You can follow the show on Twitter at DoubleDownWNBA. You can follow Eric on Twitter at E or myself at Trinkwald. And uh, this was uh, a fun one, I think. Fun, 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 we'll, fun game and a fun episode. We'll see if we get to do another one. My guess is we won't, but... Uh... Stranger things have happened. So in the meantime, thank you so much for listening, everybody. We really, really appreciate it. Uh, We'll talk to you next time.